everyone and welcome back to Bandora's Palace, a tokusatsu podcast home to monsters in rubber suits, heroes in full body spandex, and giant robots made up of other smaller giant robots. I'm Steven. And I'm Pat. And today we'll be continuing our fantastic voyage into a brave new world of sorcery, ancient warriors, and inappropriate sexual innuendos with episode three of Kyoru Sentai Zio Ranger. Ah, now today's episode... <laughs> Oh man, I'm already I'm still I'm still torn the fuck up about that spaceship blowing up them schoolgirl skirts. <laughs> I still it's it's been a week since we recorded and I still can't get over why why are you gross and weird, Japan? Uh we're we're still we're still in the shit though. We're still in Z Ranger. Um today's episode is Fight in the Land of Despair or uh, Tatake Zetsubo no Daichi. These Japanese names get exponentially harder to say when you start adding multiple words. Uh and the episode aired initially on March 6th of 1992. Uh this episode as with the last two was written by Naboru Sujimura and it was directed by by newcomer Takeshi Ogasawara. I don't know if he's actually a newcomer. For all I know, he's a veteran Sentai director. This is the first one that we've watched. God damn it. He's new to me. Uh, <laughs> That's what matters. <laughs> now, Pat, because of the way our viewing order worked out, we are going into like relatively unknown waters here. Not only have we not seen this episode before ever, this is our first time watching Z Ranger, but we haven't watched beyond episode two of Mighty Morphin yet, which means we haven't recently seen any episodes containing source footage from this episode. So we we are going in as blind as blind can be. Uh, with that in mind, what are you hoping for out of this episode? Um, a big part of what I hope for is is a step forward in the plot. Like, what what is our next thing? Like, we've been introduced to our villain. We've been introduced to our heroes. Where are we going from here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I definitely think that's something that we are going to be getting, right? Because like one of the biggest complaints about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers just in general is how incredibly episodic it is. Like every single episode, it's, it's like a 90s sitcom where where nothing changes. Like like a problem is introduced, resolved, and might as well have never existed by the end of the episode in like 90% of the episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers because that was – kind of the state of 90s TV in, in a world without streaming services and DVR and on demand and all the things that we take for granted here in the, the glorious land of 2020. Like, like they, they had to make shows and particularly kids shows very serialized. So if they missed an episode, they didn't just get lost and bored and stop watching. Hey man, I'll have you know, we recorded a bunch of these on VHS back in the day. <laughs> you were a goddamn champion then, because I certainly lacked the patience and the foresight. Oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't. I did not do that. My mother, my mother was all about that. 
She's like, oh, mm, nope, okay, we're recording all of our Saturday morning cartoons now. Well, then your mother is a queen among among women. Um, <laughs> I agree. But but yeah, like, Sentai is, is known for telling a much more serialized story, particularly than the early seasons of Power Rangers, and so, like, I don't... I don't necessarily dislike that about Mighty Morphin. I think that's part of what gives it its charm. But I, I definitely feel like the the emphasis on story, at least hopefully, is going to provide a really nice counterpoint as we're watching both of these shows. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. Seeing a continuation of the loose plot threads left over from episode two will be a very welcome change of pace um, from what we're used to getting on this side of the pond. So, all right, uh, we, with that in mind, and with us in complete agreement, uh, let's go ahead and jump into episode three, Fight in the Land of Despair. Hiroshika! Mama! All right, guys, so we come out of the intro and we open on a sunny forest and immediately we are assaulted by karate noises. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Our heroes are sparring in the woods and they are not pulling any punches. Like this isn't like, you know, like like episode one of Mighty Morphin where like Jason and Zach are having like a nice little friendly karate fight. No, these motherfuckers are using real ass weapons. Uh, like the first thing we see is boy doing his patented jump in the air and throw two knives at your face routine directly at Geki. <laughs> he really needs to stop that, man. Like, you have to go pick those up. You, you're never going to get those back like during that battle. Friends don't let friends throw knives at their face. like we've established that geki is not only the leader of this team he's also their prince like he is the last of an ancient line of royalty and he's just nonchalantly chucking knives at his fucking eyes which is bananas thankfully geki is a stone cold monster and just cuts them out of the air with his sword and slices both of these knives in half I'm, I'm genuinely surprised that boy still has any knives at all he keeps getting them cut in half in midair all the time, throwing them and then they're gone. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> These are weapons, not throwing daggers. Come on. <laughs> you think we're made of knives, boy? <laughs> uh, we then cut to May, who is jumping and firing her bow at a, at a stationary target, which seems like much more reasonable practice. Uh, and she gets the bullseye several times in a row because she's a fucking pro. But then her bow snaps in half. Uh, we then cut to Dan and Geki, who are now sparring spear against sword, and Geki just slices the tip off of Dan's spear. And yeah, at this point, we're seeing a trend. Like, we can see what direction this is going in. Dan then holds his now blunted spear up to block a, a downward swing of Geki's sword, and the sword breaks in half against the wooden spear as well. Um, how did this sword just slice cleanly through this spear and two knives? And then now suddenly wood is an impenetrable barrier. Look, it's it's durability level went down with those two hits and, and it just broke. They're not playing World of Warcraft. It was not red <laughs> on the screen. OK, like it's fine. It's a TV show. But the physics here are, are baffling to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
But Geki is clearly frustrated. He throws his broken sword in what is now a pile of everyone else's broken weapons and yells that this one's no good either. Um, it seems pretty clear at this point. You know, we if we remember in episode two, Dora Skeleton broke all of their weapons and they're either trying to repair or replace those broken weapons and it's not going great. They're all frustrated. And at this point, they mention specifically that they brought the best weapons from the temple armory, which... Which means that either these are 130 million year old weapons that have been sitting, 170 million, excuse me, that have been sitting in the underground dino shrine collecting rust for millions of years, or Barza is a secret shitty blacksmith. I mean, he's old. He can't do it like he could. He used to. (laughs) Like, blacksmith is not an easy thing. Uh, but yeah, these are the best weapons in the Temple Armory, and they are insufficient. They feel like they are just might as well be fighting with their bare hands. Uh, and at this point, we get a, re- a flashback reminder of Dora Skeleton specifically just breaking all their shit. But then, Boy, at this point, feels that he needs to remind us of what weapons they all use, as if we weren't just watching them use them <laughs> just now. Boy is a child. <laughs> but thanks, Boy. Uh, thanks to Boy, we now know that he needs a dagger. Geki needs he a needs, sword. He needs so many daggers. Yeah, he does not need a dagger. He needs all the daggers. May needs an arrow, which I think is maybe a a gross a misrepresentation of archery. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan needs a spear and Goshi needs an axe. Uh, and then Dan just gets real pissy and tells him that it's not going to be that easy to find them, which, which Dan, we just established you have a temple armory. Like they might not be good ones, but clearly you have access to weapons. Side point. This is like what? 1980s, 1990s Japan. Yeah. This is like I 1990 Japan. You there are places you can buy all these things without that but much of a d- difficulty. Well, yeah, or, but the, like, the, the commission problem is someone. they're all, like, replica anime weapons, and they're they're bullshit. <laughs> uh, look, they've got a proud history of swordsmanship there. They can at least get a sword. <laughs> but yeah, so Dan Dan's being a bitch, and he's like, it's not going to be that easy to find weapons. A- at which point, Goshi... Walks My in. favorite character. Y- yes, Goshi, the, the objectively best ranger, walks into frame for the first <laughs> time this episode and goes, eat shit, Dan. It actually is real easy. Um, so Goshi has this giant ass book. This book that is as large as him, like, bound. Which is saying something. He is a large man. He's, he's a, he is a very large Asian man. Uh, it's bound in what appears to be, like, black leather. And the camera zooms in on the cover, which is in a pictographic language. It does not appear to be kanji. If this is kanji, then I am horribly sorry, Japanese listeners. Uh, but it doesn't look like kanji to me. I think it's like a made up hieroglyph for ancient dinosaur land. But it zooms in on that. And then we get our, our, our freeze to the title shot. Um, we then cut to Barza, who is back in his janitor clothes, watering some flowers and singing to them. Okay, Just- okay. I've, I've watched this again. This is definitely not him in janitor. This is him at home. This is his home. Hiroshi, 
uh, we'll get to it in a moment, but Hiroshi comes up and calls him grandfather. Grandpa. Hiroshi, Hiroshi does call him grandpa. I don't think that's literal. I don't think that Barza is actually his grandpa. I think it's it's just like, you know, how like your parents have friends that you're just like, yeah, that's my uncle. And then you get older and you're like, actually, I don't have any fucking relation to that person. That's just some guy that my dad has known since he was 10. Um, like, I think it's that kind of situation where he's an old man that this kid grew up around. And so he just calls him grandpa. That or Barza is just slinging his 170 million year old dick around here in the 20th century no shame either way but i i imagine he's not literally this child's grandpa we'll find out i'm sure (laughs) yeah but yeah little boy named hiroshi in a mustard yellow jacket which is a choice that someone made uh he he runs up and greets barza as grandpa uh, and and demands food which you know, having been a child with grandparents or people that I regarded as grandparent adjacent, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Walk yeah, up, that, that feed tracks. Me. Yeah, <laughs> but apparently Barza was not quick enough uh, providing the food. Uh, Hiroshi runs upstairs to an apartment with a lady inside that we haven't seen before, but we can presume, based on context, is his mother, uh, and she's bringing in clothes that were hanging on the balcony. Uh, Hiroshi just immediately grabs a big ass croissant off the table and just goes to Yummy Town, and he tries to dip right back out the door. But Mama ain't having none of his shit. She catches him by the wrist. Apparently, this young man is not doing so well in school, and Mom is not having any of his bullshit. Uh, he is grounded. He got like a 30% on his last test or something. It was it was very bad. I mean, you, you know what they say? C's get degrees, D's get diplomas. It's fine. Is, is 30% <laughs> D now? Where was this when I was in school? They got all sorts of hippy-dippy grading scales now. I don't know, man. Um, I'm just saying. It's fine. You don't you, you don't have to be at the top of the class to, to not fuck your life up. Um, <laughs> but she does not let him go play, is the short of it. He's trying to go right back out. She, she nopes him right the fuck out of that. She confiscates his contraband croissant uh, and shoves him back into his bedroom to study. Now, as we shift into his bedroom, our camera shifts to a circular perspective as this kid proceeds to dick around in his room and do everything but study, which, again, having been a 10-year-old, that's a big mood. Yep. (laughs) I get it. Uh, And we see the camera pull back, and of course it is Bandora using her telescope to watch a small boy in his bedroom. What the cinnamon toast fuck, Bandora? In her defense... It seems like this family is close to Barza. She's keeping an eye on Barza and finding a way to go after him. Okay, I'll I'll accept this headcanon. That's fine. So she laughs and she tells all of her monster crew that she feels bad for kids these days, studying all the time. Okay, I guess. That's fine. I mean, like before I kids she hated kids. Before kids studied all the time at that age, they just like went to die in the mines and the textile factories. Like historically, we as a society have not been great to children, but okay, sure, studying's hard. All right, Bandora, I guess maybe in the ancient enlightened time of the fucking dinosaurs, kids had it great. I don't know. Uh, The camera then cuts back down to Hiroshi, who is just bumming on his bed, wishing that his mom was gone which is probably a bad idea when an evil space witch is creeping on you through her telescope. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that, but I'm just saying. (laughs) 
Uh, we then I mean, he- you're right. <laughs> we hear a, a disembodied Bandora voice, which says that she'll make his wish come true and, and laughs her creepy Bandora laugh. And then we hear Hiroshi's mom screaming as he opens the door to just see thunder and lightning and a hole straight to hell in his living room with his mom falling forever down it. Uh, this shit went from zero to a hundred about as quick as it could possibly go. So Hiroshi yells for his mom to please not go to hell and die, uh, then also immediately falls down the hole to hell, and then we see living room of his apartment turn back to normal. So this is a cool thing that's happening. We cut to our heroes uh, back in the secret underground dino shrine now. They are huddled around Barza, who has Goshi's big, big book on a book stand and is talking about legendary weapons uh, as Barza opens the book. Barza tells us that in the land of despair, there was a dragon with five heads and that five legendary weapons were found in its body. Now, that's a like a nice, bland, nondescript way to describe that. However, as he's saying it, we see an illustration on this page, and that illustration is of a five-headed dragon with all five of its heads cut the fuck off with weapons coming out of the neck stumps. So... That's metal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, and of course, conveniently, these weapons include uh, properly color-coded bow and arrow, spear, axe, daggers, and sword. Uh, according to the book, they will release enormous power when combined. And Boy is immediately 110% all in. Is just like, fuck yes, where is the land of despair? How do we get Let's there? Let's do this. <laughs> To which Barza responds nonchalantly, it's in the underworld. So apparently, apparently a lot of shit is going on in hell today. Um, Yes. (laughs) He he then asks Geki to open a door with a big T-Rex head on it behind him. So Geki opens the door, which apparently leads directly to hell. (laughs) Is this not the same door that he was sealed behind? You know, it... I don't it's know. It's got the Tyranno head. It does have the Tyranno head. I didn't see the other Dino head doors on the wall, but I also wasn't sp- specifically looking for them. I don't know what is creepier. If Geki has spent 170 million years in stasis in hell, or if there is just a random door to hell in this temple. Um, but either I way. Mean, that, that would explain his like fiery attitude. Yeah, for sure. I don't. <laughs> I don't think we've actually taken much time to describe the appearance of our characters. And like, honestly, like really you could get away with saying they are color coded and they look like they stepped out of a Japanese Renaissance fair. And that is technically true. But Geki in particular, I think deserves just a little bit of attention because he looks like he is cosplaying as Chris Rock in his red leather jumper from the fucking, uh, the, the standup special. Like, he has, like, this big, red, pleather, members-only jacket with big, big shoulder pads, and it is the most 1980s thing I have ever seen, particularly on someone who is very much supposed to be from dinosaur times. It's wonderful. It's, it's a, it is a look, choices were made, and I love it. He's also got a little bit of a pompadour. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, it's not a full-on pompadour. If you if you watch any of um, Gosei Sentai Die Ranger, Shoji, the blue ranger in that season, has an has a full-on fucking pompadour. And it's not that. Uh, but it's it's a cross between a 1950s pompadour and, like, a modern um, undercut. Like, it's, like, the, the middle point between those two haircuts. 
Yeah. But yeah, so Geki opens the door to hell, and Dan is now just as hype as Boy is. He is just ready Let's to fuck shit this. up. Uh, but Barza cautions our heroes that while many warriors have attempted to retrieve the weapons, all have been turned to stone. If you allow yourself to feel sadness or despair while in the land of despair, you will turn to stone. Additionally, if that was not enough of a challenge, this is a time trial. They have 24 hours to get in, get their shit, and get back out. Now, Goshi, being a good lieutenant, immediately turns to Geki and is like, we, we fucking doing this? Um, as Bandora appears in the sky to tell the rangers to get fucked, uh, that she knows what they're <laughs> doing, but she'll never let them have the legendary weapons. She then shows them Hiroshi and tells them that he is wandering in the land of despair as we speak. So now they know that they not only have to get the weapons in one day, but they also have to find and save this boy. And our heroes are big mad about it. Like, you can see the recognition and anger in Barza, but, like, he doesn't even have a chance to tell them, like, I know this boy, this is personal. They're just mad that a child is in danger, which, good for them. Yeah, this scene kind of led me towards thinking this is uh, Hiroshi and his mom are part of Barza's family. Just, like, the immediate recognition and... Or at least our family to him. Yeah, like, I I imagine, and this is admittedly entirely headcanon, I have no basis for this, but I imagine being a 170-year-old dinosaur wizard, uh, Barza <laughs> probably lives like, a, like a, a bachelor's life, right? He lives alone, doesn't, like, get super, super close to anybody because then they're going to notice that, like, hey, this old man's never dying and that's super weird. Probably moves around occasionally to to allay suspicion, but, like, probably finds family where he can get it. And, like, in this case, like, clearly he lives in that apartment building. And Hiroshi seems to be a very outgoing kid. And, like, yeah, like, I can see how, like, maybe they built something of a relationship. I, again, I don't think they're necessarily blood. I don't want to imagine that Barza fucks, um, but... Either way, he's just been haunting his line for 170 million years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, our heroes are big mad about this. And Barza does clarify for them that the reason that Bandora is doing this is because magical creatures like her cannot touch the weapons or they will immediately be burned to death, which is going real hard. Like they could have just left it at she can't touch them, but they had to be like, no, no, she'll die in horrible hellfire. Um, cool. <laughs> can't, can't someone like, Griffey, pick it up. He's not magic, is he? I mean, he's a big blue, like, monkey man with wings. That's pretty fucking magic. Is it? I mean, we don't, we don't know if he's, like, the only one of his kind, if he's, if he's actually, like, a mud monster, if he's his own species. I guess. Well, if he's a mud monster, then he's inherently, like, magic, I, I would say. But, like, yeah, I, that, that's, I guess, the answer that makes sense is that not only Bandora, but all of her hench people are also magical. Magic by association. Um, but yeah, so she has to, she has to trick the rangers. She can't interfere directly, uh, or, or she'll go in the oven. Uh, <laughs> straight out of Hansel and Gretel. Not a good time. And at this point, Geki is fired up and he's sick of talking. He is ready to ride. Uh, so our, our big mad rangers go through the door and into the underworld and we cut to commercial. When we come back, Bandora is watching them land and she's cackling that it's just like she planned. They're splitting up into two groups. So this was 100% her intending to divide and conquer. Um, so all of her monster crew are, are pleased at the cleverness of her plot and Bookback pulls out 
what is maybe the creepiest and most disturbing cuckoo clock I have ever seen. Um, <laughs> it has a big spiky skull on top. And when it cuckoos, it's a crow. And it's just it's just weird and, and off-putting. But yeah, Bookback pulls out this clock and he hangs it up and he gloats that in 24 hours, they're all going to turn into rocks. I mean, it's a solid plan so far. Yeah, yeah. Again, Bandora makes decent plans. Not always ideal follow through but like when she lays her plans out it's like yeah that'll kill some teenagers good job bandora um (laughs) so she calls for pleprechaun to make to make with the new mud monster already to which he's grumpy as ever telling her to give him a minute it'll be done when it's done uh which which again i I love this version of him it's so it's so good like i love finster finster is like maybe my favorite of the mighty morphin like monster crew uh but but pleprechaun is just so different and so sassy and i love him so much um So we cut back down to hell, uh, where Goshi, Geki, and Dan are together. That's group one. And they are heading for the castle that holds the legendary weapons. Uh, they find themselves on a field that is full of stone warriors, a stark reminder of the threat of petrification. And they continue forward as the camera cuts to May and boy, uh, who are clearly searching for, uh, our missing little boy, Hiroshi. Um, they also, immediately run into a clearing full of stone dudes and we cut back to Geki and the boys who are now climbing a rocky cliff. Now they get to the top before Goshi just yells. He's so angry that something is wrong. They're going in circles. And sure enough, the camera pans out and they're back in the same clearing with the same dudes made of stone scattered all around them. Now That's my boy with the observation. Yeah. Now they're all clearly frustrated, but Dan is a bitch. <laughs> he Dan just, is a freaking child. He just sits down and pouts that he's thirsty and he's hungry and he's tired and he doesn't want to walk anymore. To which Goshi understandably replies, stop whining, <laughs> stop you little fuck. Being a Do bitch. you want to turn into stone? And that that straightens Dan out for about two seconds. But he's flabbergasted like he hadn't even considered the fact that hey, maybe being sad in the sad place where we were told not to be sad is a bad idea because he's a fucking idiot. Um, (laughs) He looks over and he notices a pool and a waterfall and he makes a run for that water as both of his friends are yelling for him to stop, telling him it's a mirage. He doesn't give a shit. And and he immediately just jumps off of a cliff. (laughs) He he realizes it at the end, but it's way too late. And he's just he just goes tumbling. They are going to have to do some work to redeem Dan because they are doing a character assassination in this episode. He is he is very much bottom of the rung right now. <laughs> so Dan lands on the ground at the bottom of this cliff and hands from the ground reach up and just start choking him. Uh, and he probably should have died here, which I think everyone would have been better off. But his friends help him as a pair of horns then burst from the ground and just start running through the boys like a shark's fin and just beating all of their asses for some reason. These horns just going fast between them just fuck them right up. Hey, hey. Goshi catches him. He he almost he almost like bulls it for a minute. So the horns and the monster that they're attached to burst out of the ground, and we are introduced to Dora Minotaur, who is well a Minotaur. These names are are very to the point. They they lack something of the creativity of the Mighty Morphin monster names, but you will never wonder what that is. <laughs> but it's a it's a big man, bullhead, big horns, big shield, big mace. Uh, everything big. 
Uh, Dora Minotaur then just proceeds to beat these boys' asses, flinging first Dan, then Goshi, then Geki down a second cliff after beating them about the heads and faces with his club. Uh, we then cut to commercial again, and we come back this time on Boy and May, who are suddenly being jumped by putties. And a lot of them. They sound like demon turkeys. Like, I was watching <laughs> this, and I'm sitting here like... Rrr, 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 rrr. Yeah, yeah. We're, like, we're used to Mighty Morphin, where you get, like, the gentle... From the putties. That is not that is not what they sound like in ZU Ranger. Um, <laughs> but there are, there are a lot. There are a lot of these putties. They, there look to be at least eight of them to the two rangers. And Griffizar shows up. Yeah, yeah. So, like, our, our rangers are frustrated. They don't feel like they have time to fight. They just want to get out of here. But the putties aren't letting them through. And we get, like, initially a short but really cool fight scene where they initially try to morph. Like, they both pull their morphers off their belts. But there did, are two. Did they try to morph? I don't think they were trying to morph because they were just punching the crap out of people with their bucklers as if they were, like, brass knuckles. The way that I interpreted it was that they wanted to morph, but they didn't have, like, the breathing room. They didn't have space. And so they were trying to give themselves some space to morph, but there were just too many putties and they just couldn't. Um, that's what I got out of it, at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, either way, they were pretty, pretty effective. Yeah, they've got their morphers on their hands and they're just punching things with them. Just just trying to get a little bit of breathing room. And then now Griffy's here. Your boy Griffy comes flying in, sword out and just starts fucking him up. And it's starting to look real bad. We cut back to Geki and the boys who are also looking real bad. They are still getting beat up by Dora Minotaur. And now he can breathe fire. So he just fuck you, actually. <laughs> so they transform into the ZU Rangers. First, Geki and his crew transform, and it's time to fight back, though, though still mostly ineffectually. Like, Geki shoots at the Minotaur with his ZU gun, and it gets deflected, and they all get blown up. Uh, as we cut back to May and Boy, who then transform. And Yellow... Boy and Pink May, they go they go at it. And at this point, actively fighting while morphed, they finally spot Hiroshi, who is yelling for help and is like being sucked into like a pool of quicksand. So May runs to save him as Boy desperately tries to hold back all of these putties and Griffey all by himself. He does his best. He does a really good job, honestly. Like, say what you will about Boy. That motherfucker can fight. He he is, in fact, a tiger. <laughs> he is a fighty boy. Um, but he is ultimately outnumbered and outmatched. And Griffey is able to get past him and insert himself between May and Hiroshi. Um, so May has to let go. And Hiroshi continues to sink. So now, at this point, we have Griffey, who is facing off 1v1 with May. Boy facing off with all of the putties by himself. And Hiroshi sinking to his death. And we cut back to Geki and the boys who are facing off against Dora Minotaur. And they are still getting beat up repeatedly. And suddenly they have rocks falling on their heads. And we see Topad and Bookback just chucking rocks <laughs> just at them like assholes. Tossing rocks like they're freaking balloons. They, they came down to hell to throw rocks like assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, get your enjoyment while you can, right? So the Rangers run, because what else are you going to do? And we, we cut back to, to Boy and May. Um, May is desperately holding uh, Griff Resort off, while Boy manages to get some space, comes up from behind, and puts Griffy in a headlock. Um, so May is able finally to disengage and save Hiroshi in the nick of time. And Boy is 
able to not necessarily hold his own against everything, but is able to knock Griffey away and create enough separation that they can grab the kid and run. And they do so. We cut back to Bandora on the moon, who calls for the demons of the underworld to give Dora Minotaur power, which that's a fucking power move right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're in the land of the underworld. I will call upon the demons underneath you to make my monster powerful. So she throws her staff and we get the iconic make my monster grow footage. So we get her staff going down from the moon into the earth, like the lightning shooting out of it down into the ground and then monster big. So kind of interesting that we're on episode three and this is like the first time we are seeing Bandora grow a monster in Zeo Ranger because Dora Titan started big and, and yeah. Dora Skelly never got big. Um, and we still like now fucking three episodes in, we still haven't seen the big Griff Resort fight from episode one of Mighty Morphin. Which is interesting. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Dora Minotaur is now huge. He's stomping his big hoofs at the boys. And he's now big enough that he's also threatening May and Boy, who are, like, a substantial difference away, um, still trying to protect Hiroshi from all the putties. Uh, we cut to Barza back in the secret underground dino temple, who yells for the Z Rangers to call their guardian beasts. And Geki's all, fuck yeah, that guy's my homie. And he calls for <laughs> Guardian Beast Tyrannosaurus. And this time he's not alone. He is joined this time by Goshi calling for ZU Mammoth. Uh, Dan summons Triceratops. Boy summons Saber Tiger. And May summons Pterodon. And for the first time ever, we have all five Guardian Beasts. Thank God they can somehow hear our heroes from the depths of hell. I'm a little bit disappointed like there there was just a twinge of disappointment that all of them didn't have a, an episode to earn their guardian beast the way uh Geki did. That would be really really dope. I I do think that maybe that would have been asking a little bit much. Like they do Probably. have to sell the Megazord toy. <laughs> yeah. I, I I get that. That's why it was it was only a very small part, but a very small part of me was like, mm, "Man, I can't or even if we got like two of them in, two of them in one episode that would have been rad like if you, you think know? if you think of like power rangers wild force that season where like a good third of that season is various rangers hunting down different zords gaining their allegiance and then using them for the first time like yeah if yeah. we could have gotten like five episodes where it was just that for the zords that would have been radical um but no we don't get that Geki, Goshi, and Dan jump into their cockpits to unite with their beasts as the Paradon just shoots lasers at all the putties who are fucking with May. Shooting uh, lightning. Because ter Paradon, because Pterodon is the Pterodon. Pterodon. Silent peace, fuck me up, y'all. Uh, <laughs> Pterodon is the best wingman and you don't fuck with his girl. That's right. Griffey is far from done, though, and he charges as Boy tells May to take Hiroshi and run. He'll hold him off and once more jumps into Battle Griff Resort one on one, which, again, as a reminder, all their weapons are trashed. So Griffey has this big ass sword that he's swinging around, which would put Boy at a disadvantage with like his short like dagger weapons anyway. But Boy's just going fucking fisticuffs he's, with a big ass sword. He's got his like the the suits sword, like the the ranger sword. Yeah, but I mean, he just never brings it out. He's yeah, he, he's he, just he like, doesn't. I am feral. 
Well, and and like in fairness, like you you definitely couldn't like parry a blow from like the big like hand and a half bastard sword that that Griffy has with like that little like the the Zu saber is like a fencing saber, like it's a little short thin sword. It is a sword, but like like I, I actually think that maybe Boy has the right idea. Like like in in that situation, like stick to the weapons you're most familiar with, and Boy is familiar with fucking things up with his own two goddamn hands. Um, so that's fair. Yeah, it, it works for him. But we cut back to the Guardian Beasts again. Only half of which have pilots, which is important. These are autonomous sentient guardians, even though Boy and May are on the ground and are nowhere near their guardian beasts. Those guardian beasts are still fucking shit up. Triceratops uses its Tricera cannon, which like has its tail like come out of its butthole and like go on its back with guns on it, which is a little unsettling, but is is also dope. And he just like blows the Minotaur to hell with missiles. Saber Tiger also gets a butthole gun. Minotaur fires a horn laser back at it, which now this thing all breathes fire and fires lasers from its horns. It got powered up by the demons of the underworld. That's fair. Uh, and then Saber Tiger just jumps and fucks it up with its teeth and claws because just like boy, it does not give even half a fuck. <laughs> it's tiny though. Like it, if you look at it in comparison, yeah, like, it's like the size of his chest or thereabouts. Which I genuinely appreciate, right? Because like the Sabertooth Tiger is a leg on on the Megazord. Yeah. Like it should not be as large as a giant monster and it's not. Um, although the effect of it jumping through the air is super bad. You can super tell it's a toy on a string, but it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> It's 1990 special effects. You get what you get and you don't get upset. It's good enough. <laughs> then uh, Goshi calls for ZU Mammoth to use Moth Blizzard, which is a wild name for an attack, but it's, um, you know, the shot where it looks like the mammoth is like firing a fire extinguisher out of its trunk. It's that. Um, yep. And then Dan fires the Triceratops' horns on chains to tangle up Dora Minotaur by the horns and pull it down to the ground, which is, like, really smart and effective. And it just, it sucks that Dan sucks so bad, because the <laughs> Triceratops is radical. Triceratops, great. Dan, not so much. Dan, the dirt fucking worst. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we cut back to May and Hiroshi, uh, just in time for Hiroshi to trip over a log and just eat shit. May checks on him, and he's like, hey, where's my mom, though? Is she dead? Which... Honestly, a valid question, given the day that he's had. Um, yep. May doesn't answer him because how do you like, what do you say? And he just starts screaming for his mom and also turning to stone because he's big, sad right now. So May starts begging him not to cry. Good luck, May. <laughs> he continues crying and proceeds to turn entirely to stone in his sorrow. With the worst bowl cut I've ever seen in my life. It's very bad. It, 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 it's, it very much looks like a racist Chinese stereotype. It's not great. And we cut back to the Guardian Beast as Tyrannosaurus is having, like, a fierce one-on-one -on -one wrestling match with, with Dora Minotaur. Uh, and Boy catches up to May just to see Hiroshi turn to stone from head to toe. And we cut to To Be Continued. Which I think is wild. We not only leave, like, the major conflicts of this episode unresolved, but we cut to To Be Continued mid-Zord fight. Which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, I... I really liked the way this ended. It felt like there was, you know, like there were stakes. There was a reason to tune into the next episode. There was, like, I felt personally invested on in both the teams, like both May and Boy and what they're doing and what the boys and the Zords are doing. 
Yeah, for sure. And I got to say also, like, as far as like them splitting up the team, A, I think that's just really good in general this early, like, like break them into smaller groups so we can get more of them individually. But also, like, I appreciate the fact that it's not always the same teams, right? Like, yeah, last time when they split up, it was Dan and May. And this time it was Boy and May. And and hopefully that will continue to rotate. Like, Mighty Morphin had a really, really bad habit of being like, well, we got to split the team. Boys go this way. Girls go the other. Um, and while obviously you can't have the same demographic in this show where there is only one female on the team, um, it's still good to know that there's not like an A team, B team demographic going on, at, at yeah. least – at least not to the degree that we see sometimes in Power Rangers. Um, so right. I like that a lot. Yeah. What do you think, Pat? Any other final thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm super excited for the next episode. Like, it, it really left me wanting to just go on. Yeah, yeah. It was, I will say, like, this episode of the podcast is a little bit shorter. And I think that's because so much of this episode is action scenes. And there's just kind of inherently less to describe there. Like, it's really fun to watch. But there's not as much to, like, pick apart and dissect. Um, but definitely a, a fun episode to watch. Definitely a good episode. Also, I think that the most interesting thing in this episode is definitely the character of, of Hiroshi and how he relates to Barza. Like, we talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit, like, earlier, but... It's really interesting to reestablish that while Barza is like this ancient mystic 200 million year old dinosaur wizard, he's also like an old man who's a member of the community who like knows a lot of the kids in the neighborhood by name and like teases them on their way to and from school that he has he has roots in this community he has ties to these people and i feel like Hiroshi as a character was a really elegant way to bring that back into the spotlight and also Dan is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I I absolutely agree with Barza. Like having him be really integrated into the community that he's a part of and having, you know, having Bandora attack him by going through his community, I think is a really really cool way to go. Also, like team up wise, this episode really kind of redeemed Boy a little bit in my in my in my eyes, my head. Like, beforehand, I'm just like, fucking boy, god dang, this child, being a shit, but, you know, you really get to see boy be not so much a leader, but a a fighter and a good teammate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, like, uh, again, I don't love everyone on this team, I'm looking at you, Dan, but, <laughs> like, one thing I can say is, like, there are some seasons of Power Rangers later on where, like, we have Rangers that I that I cannot stand, that I absolutely fucking loathe, and it's usually because they are, like, extremely anti-heroic, or, like, they 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 do bad un-Ranger-like things, and it makes me frustrated at them as characters, and... Mm-hmm. Like, push comes to shove, like, Dan complains and is clearly a very selfish person, much more so at his root than any of these other characters. But when someone is in trouble, like, he rises, right? Like, like when there's a kid in danger, he goes fucking no. And that's, I think, like, a really important aspect of a character on, like, a super team like this um, that I'm glad to see that, like, none of them shy away from. I like that a lot. I think that they have a really good dynamic. And, like, yes, absolutely. If I was assigning an MVP to this episode, it's fucking boy. He he did. He, 100%. He put it on his back. Uh, for sure. He was very good at yeah. this one. Uh, aside from throwing knives at his best friend's face. 
Again. I mean, he asked for it. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess that's just a sign of how much he trusts Geki to have his shit together. But also, like, come on, man, maybe don't throw knives at the prince. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe use wooden knives. All right, guys, that's going to be our show for today. Um, as always, we do want to hear from you guys. You can get at the show by email to bandorapod at gmail.com. Um, you can get at us on social media where we are at bandorapod. We're really excited, actually. Um, obviously, this isn't true in your land as the listeners uh, in real meat space time because we're already launched and all of our stuff is how it has been since day one. But like, we just got our, our album artwork back today. Um, and like, we've just like finalized picking out our intro and outro music. And like, it's, it's starting to feel like a real podcast and we're real excited. We're real excited to build an audience and to hear from you guys. So definitely make sure to get at us. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, let us know what you'd like to see us watch next, because we definitely want your feedback on stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're watching along at home, let us know what you think of the characters. Give us your head cannons, And, you know, if you give us cool stuff like that, we'll, we'll read it on the show as well. Now, as always, if you would like to follow me personally on the Internet, I don't know for sure why you would. It's mostly Pokemon bullshit and social justice memes. Uh, but you can follow me personally at BBR Jolly on Twitter. Uh, Pat, where can our listeners find you around the web? If they should so choose, our listeners can find me on Twitter at PokeRangerPat. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch, streaming at least twice a week at Poke Ranger Pat. Well, thank you very much, Pat. Uh, that's going to be it for today's show, you guys. Um, we do have one more episode of Z Ranger this week before we jump back across the pond into our rewatch of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers next week. And so we will be back on Thursday with episode four of Kyoru Sentai Z Ranger and the conclusion of this two-parter, Reawaken legendary weapons uh that's it for today guys as always i have been steven and i'm pat and we have to go because we have a headache, headache. <laughs>